If you're a baseball pitcher or coach, you're probably looking for a way to develop more velocity and probably looking at all those different exercise programs, training devices, gadgets, and other products aimed at increasing miles per hour. But which one do you choose? If any, you'll get the lowdown on all of these different products and how they can help or hurt a pitcher. You'll also learn about oblique injuries, trunk rotation, and everything you ever wanted to know about the lat muscle in Season 4, Episode 4 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Borelli and hosted by me, Joe Janish. So here we are in season four, episode four of The Fix, and I've got Angel with us. And Angel, I just wanted to start talking about a couple things. Well, first of a little, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, in episode three, we had we had some sound issues, and I want to apologize to everyone who's listening because we tried to keep our get our um, our sound quality up up a notch, a little bit more major league. And and last week we had some minor technical issues, so we were a little more AAA minor league. And I, I just want to apologize for that. And uh, hopefully as we go forward, you'll you'll be hearing us in a perfect, perfect pitch. Oh, perfect pitch. Isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, you're good today. <laughs> I know. I didn't even plan that one. That one just came right out. Yeah, this bodes very well for the program. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, we, we were talking about dead arm in our last episode. And what was interesting was right right after we had our episode published another pitcher went down with dead arm which was interesting uh way in chin of the miami marlins went down with a dead arm and then it, it was described as a tired arm and then most recently it was described as an elbow problem now i i know that way in chin had has a ucl issue that he's dealing with and kind of working through he had been pitching fairly well and then they said that he was doing a bullpen session and looked great. And then he was supposed to pitch the next day. And he said, I can't pitch. Sorry. can't do it. Not, not feeling good. I'm feeling like uh, I have a dead arm. And you know, that this, this um, diagnosis went through a strange cycle over a 48 hour period. And now they're saying that it, and now they're, it's just an unspecified elbow issue. Angel, you know, since, since we've talked about the dead arm in the last episode, and it seems to be a, a common issue, could you kind of elaborate on what could be happening with Wei and Chin and his, his, his arm and his shoulder and his elbow? And like, well, is this all related or, or is this misdiagnosed? What's going on? Well, you know, I think this is a great talking point for all the coaches out there and the pitchers out there who, you know, if you have a pitcher or are a pitcher and you're trying to throw through an elbow injury and, you know, sometimes you do go to the doctor and they say, hey, not enough millimeters for a surgery we want you to rest and then we want you to condition it and throw through it be prepared for it to hurt a little so it's not like it's always insane that somebody has an injury that they're trying to work through but with that being said we have to all be on high alert because here's what happens when that pitcher is trying to work through it. The first thing is the body's going to try to protect you from feeling pain. And the pitcher himself is hesitant and they know exactly where the elbow hurts the most. And so what happens is they make tiny little adjustments to their mechanics that may not even be visible unless you're using a camera. And there's a certain pattern of errors that I see and I see this and I'm working with a pitcher right now trying to work through a UCL tear and he was told by the doctor yes you're supposed to throw and I have to watch him every second as we take him through the throwing program because it's very intriguing to see how the body wants to protect you and how the pitcher protects himself when an elbow is hurting the joint that will change its angle is the shoulder joint. Remember, the elbow only lengthens and shortens the arm. It's a single joint action that that um, elbow has. So whenever there's an elbow problem and you're trying to eliminate positions of the elbow that hurt the only joint that can make a change is the shoulder and where the shoulder will make the change it will do one of two things it will lower the arm 
or it will elevate the arm during acceleration. You're going to always see one of those two things. If you elevate the arm, you're going to aggravate the muscle I talked about last week, the supraspinatus. It then gets tired and then you can't feel it raising up with a good force at the beginning of the motion voila dead arm if you lower the arm then the component of external rotation that that muscle uh, contributes to it's going to be taxed and again that muscle becomes uh, fatigued and so when you have a pitcher saying it's dead it's tired don't be afraid to go right into the shoulder and start strengthening it and watch to make sure that that pitcher is at 90 degrees his shoulder height, perfect 90, which is the simplest for the shoulder to process. Make sure he's not lifting through acceleration. Make sure he's not dropping his arm low. And coaches, I know you guys have great eyes when it comes to the actual delivery. And if you see anything that looks strange, it's because he's compensating. And what does that do? It gets him some innings. It gets him through some bullpens, but then eventually he's back to making those little compensations, and then the next thing he's shut down. So be on alert for the guys who are working through an elbow injury and know that when they start to talk about their shoulder, that that goes hand in hand with the protective mechanism that the body has to protect the elbow. It's kind of a cool thing. And listen, this mechanism is working in all of us human beings all day long. It's a very cool way our body protects us. And for pitching, it's such an obvious pattern. Of course, I'm lucky. I've been seeing this for 22 years. I had to observe and notice what does the body do when it doesn't want to have pain on that elbow? And it's very intriguing to see. I will always see one of these two flaws. And you can't let them do that because what they're doing is not conditioning the, the elbow appropriately, which is the reason why they're supposed to be throwing through it. And then they're altering their mechanics and they will end up with shoulder problems because the shoulder and the elbow always go together. Huh, imagine that. The whole yeah, arm is like, like one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. You know, we talk so much about the elbow like it's such a you know big deal. The elbow is the simplest joint on the body in the sense that it flexes and it extends. It has one, what we call one degree of freedom. It, 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 it only does one thing, but where it's at and where it's exposed has to do with the shoulder. That's why don't be afraid to take a look at the other thing. Any good doctor knows and any good physical therapy knows, therapist knows, if you've got somebody complaining about something in the elbow, you look at the shoulder. You never can just look at the elbow. So anyway, that's the, te uh, the teaching moment from him, and I hope he is going to be okay. But that's what would be uh, need to be seen on him is to see what's he doing. Yeah, he's he's going to be resting, I think, for at least 10 days or so, and then, and then we'll see what happens next. I want to shift gears a little bit. Yet another um, ace has gone down with an injury and we're shifting gears because it's not an arm injury. So you would think, well, what's the big deal? Cole Hamels of the Rangers went down with an oblique injury and it sounds like he's going to be out for at least two months. Now, you know, generally when we hear about pitchers being out for two months, it's because of an arm issue. So once he gets back from his oblique injury, does he have to worry at all about his arm or is that not really related? Well, it's related in the sense that the rotation of the trunk is what brings the arm through. Now, if you're pitching correctly and you're teaching pitching correctly, you know that the trunk rotates in, at three different levels and the upper level of rotation brings the arm through. The arm can't bring itself through, the trunk brings it through, and the trunk muscles that do the rotation are the obliques. Now, he has an oblique injury, probably an external oblique, but just to be thorough, there are internal and external obliques. On each side of the body, you have two layers, and the ones on the outside, they're what we call opposite side rotators. So, for example, he's a left-handed pitcher, and he's rotating to the right. So when he rotates to the right, his left side is going to be the rotation 
rotational muscles. If he happens to be hurt on the right side, it's probably his internal obliques. So they would know by the location. In fact, do you know, Joe, are they talking about which side it is? You know, I didn't even I didn't even think to look at that. Yeah. Um, Shame on me. I'm supposed well, to be doing this research. <laughs> see, you're not a kinesiologist, so you didn't even know that that would be. Yeah, because most people think, oh, so what really happens is when he's everybody picture him, he's a left handed. So the minute his right foot lands, his left side is going to start rotating. First, the hip will rotate and then here comes the waistline. So both sides are working on the left side. His external obliques are working on the right side. Underneath the right external obliques, the those obliques are working. So you've got, I mean, think about it. His whole trunk has to get around. The obliques on the left side, they're on the left side. So what's going to pull the right side? Well, the deeper muscles. So you've got both sides working. So, of course, you wouldn't know to look at that. But this is how, you know, so, for example, if, if a pitcher calls me and says, my obliques are torn, I'm like, which side? And then I'm already knowing, okay, where's the issue? Where's the error? Now, why there were I think two three seasons ago everybody was getting oblique injuries and yeah. I was also interviewed on what is going on with the obliques they're very important but you don't hear about trunk muscles getting torn because guess what are they, are they not working all day long they're pretty strong it's not easy to hurt an oblique muscle so he's been rotating he's is he in the National League uh, he, he now he's in the American League. Okay, so he's, he's not a, he's swinging a bat because no. that would be the first thing you would ask. You would ask right. first of all, does if he sw- if he swings this with the same dominant arm that he pitches with? All this is how you investigate it. But you know, people ask me all the time, why are there so many of these oblique injuries? And I tell you, when a when an oblique gets injured, I always go to what are you doing in the gym? What are you doing? Uh, for your trunk muscles because you know people get obsessed with their abs and it's cool to be obsessed with your abs but when you're a pitcher or an athlete that relies on rotation you have to be extremely careful so what's going to be warranted here is a conversation trying to figure out what's going on and then also taking a look at his mechanics now he was always i haven't seen him pitch recently but way back in the days of the phillies he was somebody i talked about all the time because he was a lefty that had right-handed mechanics he was so clean now i do remember he had some low back injuries which he was going too far over in his follow-through and i remember being afraid for him when i saw that and i don't know if he's made adjustments i haven't seen him pitch in years but that's another thing you want to look at and that would be the thing i would be looking at i'd be wanting to see film to see is he decelerating correctly because those muscles are pretty tough to hurt now the reason why he's out for so long you're probably wondering is those muscles insert on the ribs so guess what every time he breathes it hurts and every oh. time you turn and even when you're sitting there those muscles don't just rotate you they also assist in, in in bending forward and backward it hurts when they're torn so I don't know um, and of course I'm using the word torn I don't know if he's torn just pulled I don't know what's really going on but it's um You've got to be really, really careful with the way you train your rotation muscles, especially if you're from the school that you should be doing explosive work for them. Um, it can be uh, it can add too much too much to the pitcher's uh, uh, fatigue level in his trunk. All right. Well, I, I cheated. And while you were talking, I, I quick looked in it. From what I saw, he's hurt his right oblique, which is the opposite of his left hand. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I would be looking at, uh, yeah, I would be looking at the, in, it, wow, if it's an internal oblique, wow. And if he, and yeah. if it's an external, that's interesting. I wonder what he, I wonder if he does anything as a righty, you know, that's, a, see, I would be at, this is part of the investigation, because as I said, so it, it, it either is an internal, and you know, they may not even know, well, you kind of know if it's on the right side, it's probably internal, but um, you don't, uh, unless you're, they're doing MRIs, it's hard to, you know, you just don't stick needles down into the trunk muscles to find things out. So, um, right. yeah. So, but anyway, very interesting. I wish him the best. Yeah, we'll 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 keep we'll keep following up on that and do more research. You know, th- 
what I read was right oblique, but who knows, you know, we've been getting some uh, different information that, you know, major league teams are not always giving the whole story. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the reporters are not giving the correct story and Mm -hmm. so on and so on. Mm -hmm. No. And I was going to say, and you know, you notice they're not saying internal or external. So it would depend on, in fact, I would ask where in the motion does it hurt? And there are many, he could, he could be, if let's say he's going too far over in his follow through, then that right oblique is on his glove arm side is handling his deceleration on that side of the body. And that's a very important deceleration side because his right leg is out. So if it's his right, let's say he's putting his hand and you you kind of know it's his external because of where he's putting his hand because they're positioned slightly differently, then I would be looking at, especially now, knowing what I saw many years ago, how's he decelerating? How's he using that glove arm? What's going on over his right leg? All this needs to be determined. And that way, this I mean, this is the way you follow things around. Put him on the DL, look at the film of his last game. And then when you get him go back to play, then you've got something to work with. You can't just not work with something. Create a theory, look for it, and then make sure that he's going to be really good with all those components I just mentioned, irregardless if we know for sure that that was the cause. But we know that that's where the right side is going to be working. So that's great information. If that's correct, uh, if anybody's listening, that's what you would need to look at with him, his deceleration and his glove arm side, and see what's happening there. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. Well, again, we'll have to keep an eye on him and see what's going on with, with that injury. Another injury that I wanted to talk about is to uh, Marcus Stroman of the Toronto Blue Jays, who has been pitching really well this year, came out of a game in the third inning. He said he had some general tightness in the armpit, and he said he came out of the game just as a cautionary thing. And he also had some comments about what was going on before the game. He said he had trouble getting loose, and the tightness was causing it to be a little tough for him to get extension at some points. And again, he just he just called it general tightness in his armpit. Now, he came out of that game, and then five days later, which was last night, he pitched again, and, and last night he pitched really well. So I, I guess I'd like to hear your take on, first of all, what could be going on if he had some tightness under his armpit and how he could suddenly be okay in five days And what is he talking about when he's talking about not getting extension? Well, the words that come to my mind are the words we're hearing a lot in the news right now, and that is lat strain. And under the armpit, when you're talking about anything under the armpit, you're talking about the lat muscle. And the lat muscle not only rotates the shoulder to deliver the ball, but it goes all the way down your back. So when they talk about not getting extension, and when a pitcher talks about that, what he means is, is he means when the arm goes to reach forward, he doesn't feel like he's reaching out enough. Depending on where on the lat that's bothering you, it's going to either affect how well your trunk can tilt forward or how well you can get your arm out because you're tight under the armpit. But that's what's going on with that. And it sounds like he pulled himself out. I did see that game, so I saw him pull himself out in the third inning. That's what's called getting on top of it right away. Now, to really get on top of it, you want to look at why that happened. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think that... um, uh, early detection, but that's that to me is what's uh, uh, what that's why he felt it under the armpit. So see, when you're doing detective work, all the cues add up, all the clues add up. So now I'd be watching him carefully to make sure he's not exhibiting anything that's going to create that problem. Because guess what? If a problem's there, even if you have early detection, you can just, you know, release the muscle. If you still do the same thing that got you in strain before, it's going to act up again, but this time it'll act up a little worse. So that's why you don't let these things go. The body's giving you clues. I mean, take, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, you know, take that clue and run with it. And that guy can keep on pitching and see, that's a gift for him. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the lat muscle because in our last episode, we were talking about Noah Syndergaard, who last year had an elbow issue, had an elbow bone spur. And at the time, I remember we talking about it. There was this big concern that maybe something was going on with his UCL, that you know maybe he was gonna he had a strain or, or a tear in his UCL, and the MRI came back clean. 
And then when you and I discussed it, you said you weren't surprised because it wasn't really an elbow issue. It was more of a shoulder issue. And, and no one else really took that stance. So, you know, I, I guess that's the difference between the layperson such as myself or and someone like you who, who knows how the body works. So fast forward to this year, and we were talking about his biceps issue that we talked about in the last episode. Well, lo and behold, just two or three days after we did that recording, Noah Syndergaard was supposed to get an MRI, refused to get an MRI. I don't know why he would refuse it. And he, he went out and pitched instead of getting his MRI. He was throwing 100 miles an hour, but came out of the game because he blew out his lap muscle. Hmm. Apparently, it's uh, the Mets are not being completely forward for obvious reasons. They don't want people to know really what the issue is. But apparently, it's, it's a significant injury to his lap muscle. And from what I've heard, there's no relation to the bicep injury. And the bicep injury is no relation to his elbow bone spur last year. I'm a little suspicious. I have a funny feeling that all this is related. And I, I'm curious, like how he can throw 100 miles an hour and still have an injury, like with all these problems with his arm, how he can still throw 100 miles an hour. But that's neither here nor there, because now he's he's not throwing at all. And I'm not sure when he's going to be throwing again. So I just wanted to bring that up and get your take on what, well, you know, what was going on with Noah Syndergaard. And maybe you can connect the dots from last year with the elbow to this year with the bicep to now a lap problem. Well, you know, let's use this as the teaching moment for this uh, episode, Joe, because I think that uh, this lat strain, uh, I mean, we, we have a, we have a major league pitcher right now that's returned to play after having a lat strain. And, uh, we, we've heard lat strain before. In fact, it's funny, a few years ago, it was actually at the same time as the oblique problems, people were having lat problems. So, and everyone does ask me, why is the lat um, getting hurt? Because when you think of the lats, everybody, when they think of lats, pictures a bodybuilder with a wide V back. You're looking exactly. at him from behind. You're looking at the guy in the gym who's got a cut up shirt on and he's doing pull-ups and you see these huge lat muscles that give you that v-shape right under your arm in the armpit area and then right. you see that back come down into a v that v is because that's the way the lat is shaped it fans out from up from the pelvis right behind you if you put both your hands behind your back and you touch just in the middle of each side that's where it's, it comes to a point and then it fans upward out under your armpit it does not go over the shoulder blades it comes right under it and out into the armpit but the thing about the lat that's so cool that people do not know unless you've studied anatomy kinesiology and also pitching the lat it's in the back of your body so you're not thinking that it does anything in the front well the lat comes under the arm and it inserts on the front of the arm. In fact, it inserts right next to where the chest inserts. Now, everybody knows the chest accelerates the ball, the pectoralis major. It's a major accelerator. And by the way, it works intimately with the serratus, which I talked about last week. So you've got these two muscles on the front that are obvious accelerators bringing the arm forward. Well, the lat internally rotates the arm as well. It inserts right next to where the pec inserts on the arm bone. And guess where that's located? It's located very close to the bicep. Now, again, I don't have to repeat this. The shoulder and elbow work together. They always work together. They work together to support each other. They work together. One will adjust if the other one's hurting. But the bicep also decelerates the shoulder the shoulder accelerators and if the shoulder accelerators aren't being decelerated you're either going to have an elbow problem or you're going to have a shoulder problem now the lat is a huge thick muscle in fact people who lift weights know unless you are doing pull-ups and by the way that's the one contraindicated exercise for a pitcher to hang his body weight off his shoulder joint, and it's for this reason. But everyone knows it's not that easy to get your lats sore, and that's because it, it's a protective muscle to the spine. Anything in the back of your body is really got tons of layers of musculature. And so when a pitcher throws, low, throws out his lat, I'm like, whoa. Now, he threw 100 miles an hour, and that's how he injured his lat. The reason is that internal rotation 
which is what contributes, which is the movement that brings the arm forward. The lat is very able to deliver most of those forces because it's very strong. In fact, when my pitchers get sore in their lat from pitching, and that would be under the arm, I know they're throwing correctly. Little kids don't get sore in their lat. They get sore deeper inside the rotator cuff because they don't know how to access the big muscles. They just kind of use the arm. A really good pitcher, every guy you see, Chapman being one of them, if they're throwing 100 miles an hour, you see them using their lat. And they're getting that usage by pre-stretching the chest backward, and you can feel that stretch. But while you're doing that, you're also pre-stretching the lat. Now, that's counterintuitive, again, because the back is behind you but that insertion on the arm is pre-stretching along with the chest and boom when it's delivered it's got the most high velocity you can have this is why in my work with my pitchers I teach them how to use the chest and the back and the serratus that way it protects the underlying muscles and so when this is how that happened but to say there's no connection I mean first of all I've seen his mechanics and he's got there are there's a certain type of mechanics that if you have lat problems you got to be careful and if you don't have them you've got to be careful and that's this inverted w thing because the lat is an internal rotator of the shoulder and the w thing is the trunk position rotating forward the shoulder slides forward the elbows are up now you've got internal rotation happening when it shouldn't be happening then the pitcher lands, he straightens up. Now he's not internally rotated again. Then he goes and stretches it, and then he throws. Well, the stretching and throwing is fine, but if you've already taken that muscle through a part of the motion and used it in a really strange way, in a way that it doesn't like, and then you bring it back into position, and then now you're going to ask it to stretch and produce force, you're making crazy things happen in the shoulder. And for the lat to be the thing that responds is pretty intense because you would think the shoulder, I mean, when I see that inverted W, I know we're going to have shoulder problems. And the lat is a shoulder muscle. But for it to be the lat means there's some very intense straining going on. And when you have a bicep issue or an elbow issue, it's quite possible and see, this is just me connecting dots, that your brakes aren't working real well. So the shoulder's taking a beating. And in, in this case, the lat took the beating. So that's how it connects. Now, what's the problem with taking a look at it from that perspective? Absolutely no problem at all. This doesn't mean, oh, doom and gloom for him. No, you have to start somewhere. It's just like a detective. When they see a murder scene or something, they immediately try to hypothesize what happened here because then it starts them on a path of investigation. And they know that if when they start on that path, they get another piece of information because they're on that path, then they change directions. And that's how you solve things. That's how I solve problems. When I do a forensic analysis, I do it just like the way I'm talking. I connect the dots. So it is related. He also probably has never really corrected or did what I was suggesting earlier in the show, looking at, okay, he had a bone spur, which indicates something's wrong. Then he had some bicep soreness, which indicates something's wrong. What did he do to alter his mechanics so that he could still pitch? And you know he did something. He didn't wake up and say, I'm going to do something. The body does it on its own because it protects you from feeling pain. So you have to, when you have a history of injuries, you have to absolutely remember the body on its own is going to start making adjustments. Let's make sure he's not doing that because the adjustments the body makes to keep you out of pain usually create another problem because the pitching motion has too much precision involved in it. And you can't just go in changing one joint and not expect to have problems. So, and I think that with these lat injuries, 
you have to really be careful again with the training that's going on and, uh, you know, making sure that the explosive things you're doing. I mean, I think explosive training for pitchers, people really need to be rethinking that. And I think you have to really connect the dots to make sure that he is not doing anything that could, uh, you know, could put that on a strain. But to me, this is a natural progression of injuries from the elbow bone to the muscle above it, to a muscle that ins- that crosses the shoulder joint. And to me, this is not a surprise at all. Okay, I have a few questions based on what you were just saying. First off, if he did tear his lat significantly, when he comes back, will there be an issue with his velocity? Or it's hard to say. Well, let's put it this way. Mechanics have a lot to do with velocity, but the head of the pitcher has the most to do with it. So depending on whenever a pitcher is injured, depending on how well he's prepared before he gets on the mound, so there's no surprises, that's going to determine if this guy's going to let it go again. When you see labrum guys not come back, sometimes they don't come back because they can't get the external rotation because the labrum was, they tightened everything up so much. And even with proper rehab, they couldn't get the external rotation. Now you've got a mechanical reason why the muscle can't stretch enough to produce a velocity. When you have a guy who has a labral tear or an elbow tear or any shoulder joint tear, and let's say during the steps that are taken to return him, Sometimes they're not done as thoroughly. Somebody's maybe not paying attention to the pitcher. He's a professional pitcher, so he's not going to be very forthcoming. I mean, I deal with guys who they'll be honest with me because, you know, I'm not on, I'm not one of their coaches on a team. Sure. And when the kid is is tentative because he's not sure, you're going to see a different type of mechanics. You're going to see the velocity not being produced. One of the things that produces velocity is how intense the pitcher can be on a neurological level. It's, you know, you've got to be able to like be intense and that is neurological. It's more that than it is uh, just throwing hard. That's why when we look at the guys who throw 100, I saw a guy throwing 99 the other day and he looked so like his whole body was so slow. And even when he delivered, and when I saw it was 99, I'm like, wow. And that's just because he's got a fire inside of him. So the injuries affect the fire, the mechanics, depending on scar tissue, et cetera. And we're going to hope it's not. Are they saying it's actually torn now or is it a strain? You know, I don't think they're being complete. They're, I think they're saying mm-hmm. that it's a, a slight tear or mm. something like that. Yeah. Well, his whole complex, because like I said, the location of the attachment, and of course, we don't know exactly where it's torn. But, uh, you know, regardless if we're speaking accurately about him, because we don't have the facts, these are the things you have to be concerned about with the with the lat muscle. So an- another thing that I wanted to bring up is that a former major league pitcher who will, I will not name, he said that the reason that Noah Syndergaard got hurt and, and the reason a lot of these pitchers are getting hurt is because they throw too hard. And you, and you mentioned that, you know, it's a neurological thing to be able to create that kind of velocity. Is, is there anything to that? The fact that these guys are throwing too hard and they should maybe be dialing it down and not throwing as hard, like instead of always throwing 100, maybe he should throw like 92 or 93. <laughs> You know, I laugh when I hear this. Now, here's the part about it I agree with. There's a part of it, I'm going to say it differently. When you try to throw hard, you can get injured. I've said this before. Anybody who listens to my podcast knows that I believe this. And, of course, this is the work I do. So, of course, this is what I believe. But I got into this type of work because of this belief Velocity is a product of a whole lot of other things. The minute you try to make it the thing, you start losing sight. And when you lose sight, you you pay a price. You pay a price with mechanics. You pay a price with other things, location. You can pay a big price when you just say, I'm going to throw this thing as hard as I can, particularly when you don't even know, well, what would you move faster if you wanted to throw harder? 
Trust me, anybody out there, I, 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 this would be interesting for you. Go to the field today and ask five pitchers, pull five aside, and just say, hey, if you wanted to throw harder, what would you move faster? And you will v- probably not hear rotation even once. And rotation is the angular velocity that delivers the intensity to the shoulder. And that starts when the front foot lands. You're not going to hear a pitcher know that. He's going to say, well, I, I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll move faster downhill or I'll throw. They, they will say the most interesting things. So chasing velocity. So he's right in the sense of trying. If, if he said trying to throw so hard, He's correct. But when you're talking to a power pitcher, the degrees, this is why, and they've done research on this. If you tell a pitcher to throw 70%, when they measured his effort based on, you know, they were doing stats, he's really throwing 89%. That's why we don't in rehab say, oh, throw 50%. You, You can't do something fast in a slow way, even if you try to slow it down. But when you slow it down, you change the skill. And so telling a hundred mile an hour pitcher not to throw hard is really difficult. The body modulates its intensity. It's why the bullpen has a natural progression of velocity. So when I'm looking at a pitcher, I film him at the beginning because I want to make sure there's nothing really bad going on, especially if he's coming off an injury. But I'm not looking at that as the, you know, take home message for the day. I'm waiting until he has exceeded his warm up pitches because that guy knows very rhythmically and his body knows when to let it go a little more. And that, by the way, is the difference in a starter and a closer. It's why if you're a starter and you try to be a closer, you might not be able to bring it right away because your body's on a different rhythm with how quickly it warms up and how quickly you can turn on that fire that I talked about, that neurological thing. I mean, some guys need to go with a 40-watt bulb, and then they go to an 80-watt bulb, and then they go to a 120-watt bulb. Some guys, they just turn, they blast it with 240 watts right away. That's the difference. And people are wired that way. You're wired that way mentally, psychologically, and physically. So, um, trying to throw hard, yes, problematic throwing hard. Listen, he developed himself to get to that place. So I think that he's right on the track that they're, what they're doing to throw hard is possibly the problem. And that actually, Joe, could lead us into the last part of the podcast, if you're cool with doing that, because I want to talk about some of the ways that pitchers do try to throw harder and that that's what could be causing the problem. So this pitcher who mentioned it is on the right track with what he's saying. This intensity about I want to throw harder and that's all they're thinking about. Did you ever hear a pitcher say, God, I want to throw more efficiently. Jeez, I want to use my legs better. No, they're like, I want to throw harder and they don't care how they do it. And there's reasons for that. And the world is filled with options for those types of pitchers and um, which I want to address in the last segment. Well, you're stealing my thunder, Angel. I was I, I was going to naturally segue right oh, into it. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's all right. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're mentioning chasing velocity, and and I wanted to talk about in our last segment getting it done with science. Every pitcher that I know, that I've ever talked to, that I've ever coached, that I've ever seen, wants to throw harder. They want to light up the gun. They want to throw faster and faster and faster. And Toward that end, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of training programs, long toss programs, weighted ball programs, gadgets, things that are that will change your stride to make you throw faster, supposedly. All kinds of different options available out there. And, and I know I talk to pitchers all the time, serious pitchers, and I talk to their fathers and I talk to their coaches and they're all looking for that edge. They're looking for that cutting edge thing that's going to get the pitcher to the next level. That's going to get them from throwing 87 to 90 or 90 to 94 or more. And and there are all of these different options available that you can purchase, that you can buy and you can start using it, whether it's a gadget, whether it's a program, whether, whether it's a regimen. So I wanted to bring it to you because you're someone who works with pitchers who throw 
in the 90s, the mid 90s and more and, and have worked with a number of these pitchers and, and you know how to develop velocity. So I thought that maybe you could give us an idea of which of these products and programs, if any, would be best for developing velocity. Well, you know, I get more emails on this topic and usually it's got a link and it's a link to something, some type of tool or strap. I have seen feet being strapped down, hips being strapped down, arms being connected to the hip by a strap. I have seen the most interesting things cross my desk because people say, what do you think of this? Should I buy this? Uh, you know, will this work? Or this is what my son's been using. And then I'll have pictures. Um, you know, I work with pictures from all over the country and I'll have a parent call saying, my son's blah, blah, blah. Can you help us with this? And I said, well, what's he been doing? And they'll send me some random video. And the things that I see the pictures doing, which are, of course, designed to throw hard, but look nothing like pitching, I, I, it, it, I look and I go, wow. And so this is a question I am asked all the time. And I really feel like, you know, my role is as an educator. And I always, as coaches know, and pitchers know, I always believe that you really no, need to know your own philosophy and your value system in order to make the decisions. My job isn't to tell you, don't buy this, buy this, don't do this program, do this one instead. My job is to give you things to think about that you may not normally think about in order to make an effective decision for your team or for your son or for your own arm. And, um, the, you know, I know who I am. My job, my work is in in empowering a pitcher. I'm from the school with my pitchers of it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And I believe knowing the body like I do, and not just knowing how it moves, but knowing how to train it, that if you do things right, and you make the muscles perform very efficiently, you as the pitcher, because you already know how to pitch, you're going to pitch better. And as you pitch better, you are greasing the system that naturally evolves and improves because our bodies do improve. It's why you're seeing guys throw 100 now and you didn't see that 15 years ago. That's because there's this natural level of improvement that occurs when you start hitting certain systems. You just can't, you can't control it. The body goes on its own. That's why what I was just referring to, you can't control, tell a pitcher, oh, pitch slowly. It doesn't work that way. So know what camp you're in. Do you care if the pitcher is doing a program or using something that teaches him maybe nothing about the motion? Maybe doesn't even look like pitching, but it's somehow making him feel like he's going to throw harder. Is that okay with you? And if it is, then that's something you need to know about yourself. If it's not okay with you, if you come from the camp where, no, you know what? It doesn't look right to me. Something looks funny here. I, uh, I don't like how sloppy he looks when he's doing that. Um, then you know that that's a tool that you're going to use, uh, the tool being your thinking process to not use that gadget or that, that implement that's going to help the pitcher. Now, um, I am a believer in putting the pitcher in the driver's seat. But see, I know how to do that. So when I look at all these things, you know, people say, you must hate this. You must hate this. My job isn't really, you know, and this is something you learn when you work in the field of science. My job is to look at things in sort of an interesting way. And my first thing is when I see somebody, for example, there's this thing out where you put it on the rubber and it's a piece of wood or something. I've never seen one. Actually, I saw somebody using one, but it was a softball pitcher. And it kind of flips the foot so that your foot goes into the stride. Well, when I looked at that, I went, wow, people really don't know how the stride is created because the stride is not created from what the foot does. So I'm like, that's how I looked at it. Wow, you know what? My work is important because I teach my pitchers how the stride happens, what muscles actually do it. It's the hip, not the foot. 
So the deal is, when I saw that, I said, wow. When I see these programs where they have pitchers doing insane things, I can't remember exactly what I saw. And I'm not saying this is a good program or bad, but this kid was only about 15 feet from a wall. And I think I saw him. The video was weird. I think he was in a three-point start, like he was going to run a 40. And I think he bolted out of that position. I believe he turned around completely, and then he threw the ball. So right away, the first thing I said, which is what I would want you to say to yourself is, Wow, what is that actually teaching him? Well, guess what it is teaching? It's teaching that intensity factor. If he's going for broke at 15 feet, he's teaching that neurological thing. He's going right in and turning that 240-watt bulb. That's cool. But what's he not getting? Well, he's going so fast at the beginning of that drill that he has to actually slow down at the moment when a pitcher needs to speed up. So he's not being taught anything about the timing of when you apply power in pitching. Okay, so you check that box. Okay, not getting the timing factor. And guys, by the way, as a troubleshooter, most errors in the pitching motion are timing issues. So I'm always afraid when I see something that changes timing for a pitcher, any drill, anything where it doesn't look natural, because that's where they go wrong first, especially an injured pitcher. His timing gets off. So if I see something that disrupts timing, if I see something that has is so explosive at the beginning that the pitcher's out of control when he throws, then I know he was working on balancing and not falling. So all the bigger muscles, like I was talking about with Cole Hamels with his trunk, etc., they're busy keeping him from falling over. So guess what he's throwing harder with? His arm. And when a pitcher throws harder with just his arm, the elbow usually is the thing that takes the beating. And then, of course, the back of the shoulder. So if I see something that has too much momentum going on, not the momentum you see in a pitcher. In fact, I don't use the word momentum. That is something that people throw that term around. The pitcher stopped. He's standing there, and then he moves very controlled down the hill. I don't see all this crazy energy going on. And so when I see something that does that, it scares me. When I see um, a kid being strapped up to something, let's say you're trying to teach him how to use one part of his body but you don't really know yourself how that body part's used but let's say you have him strapped up to something but it's affecting the rest of the body where he's connected to so yes you're getting him to maybe do something with his rear leg but then the way his follow-through looks is being um, compromised because he's all strapped up well then that's not good What about a strap that says, um, in fact, I had a pitcher ask me the other day, his arm angle's too long. He says, Angel, do you have anything you could tie my arm up with to teach the angle? (laughs) And I laughed because that would not teach, see, that's an oxymoron. It would not teach the angle. He has to learn, see, in pitching, you have to learn how to feel the angle that you need to be in. Then you need to know how to arrive there. Now, I hold his arm in place, and I have my ways of making him feel it, so he has to be kinesthetic. Pitchers have to be kinesthetic, but if you've got straps on someone and it's forcing something, the pitcher's going to be still in his pitching folder, just pitching, and not really learning how to retain that angle. And and again, I'm lucky because of the work I do and my background, I can teach the muscles that use this, and then I take them in the gym and I teach it. So when you are looking at these gimmicks, you want to look to be sure that some when you look at it, it looks like it is honoring the, the characteristics of the, the pitching motion. And also, in my opinion, it needs to be honoring and respecting the pitcher and the language he needs to be developing about his own motion. Now, that's if you're in the camp of where I'm kind of at, which is the risk and the reward. No, no risk. There's a better way to get this done. But if you're in a 
I don't care how it looks. I want him to throw hard, and I believe in that intensity thing, and this is the way I want him to get it. Then you can look at these things in a different way and then go to the next level of seeing does it even look like pitching and try to do the best you can to select things that in some way still honor what the pitching motion does. If it looks completely backwards, if it's having the pitcher be so out of control that all he's doing is throwing as hard as he can, that's what that coach was talking about when he was criticizing Syndergaard. When you're trying to throw as hard as you can in a methodology that isn't even pitching, that's how you can get injured. So be wary of things that disrupt timing. Be wary of things that force a movement pattern that the pitcher really doesn't even uh, use in the pitching motion. Be very careful of things that move a pitcher so fast that his front foot doesn't really get to land in a controlled fashion to transmit energy that he's really running through his front side. Be very careful of things like that. And this is how you start to make solid decisions about uh, whether a tool or a program can be for the pitcher. And I think in this day and age of so many injuries, this is sort of to me, it's like, let's say there was a state that did some research and they found out that 95% of drunk driving accidents were occurring with um, 21 year olds, which let's say is the drinking age in that state. That would be like that state saying, hey, let's lower the drinking age to 18. It would be insane to do that, given what we know. So this coach, this uh, major league coach that made that comment about Syndergaard, this is what his brain is sort of thinking. Why are these guys doing things that could be harming them to try to throw hard when if you throw hard and you develop that in a natural way, you're not putting excess stress. And the other thing that's so important, Joe, that no one thinks about, and guys, if you are out there using programs, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, I just want you to make the decision knowing everything that's on the table. Please know that you have to recover from those bouts. I have a high intensity throwing program I use. It's a 60 foot program. I'm always involved in exact motion and exact specificity on every level. And this is involving 25 throws and it's 60 feet. And it's seven, seven different sets of things. And they're getting two minute breaks between three reps. They need a day of recovery from that. And how do I know this? Because when I implemented the program last summer, I'd say to my pitcher, I want you to do it, and then I want you the next day to tell me, would you be ready to do a pen? And we found out that the formula is, okay, I've got a pitcher doing it today. He's going to be off tomorrow. He's going to pen on Thursday. They can't go out and throw that intensity the next day because if your program is good, it is taxing the nervous system and the muscles in a way that they need recovery. So if you're going to also use these things please pay attention to, wow, well, if I'm getting him to use his back leg or I'm making him hold his arm here or I'm having him run down the hill 100 miles an hour, wow, he's really taxing himself. He needs a day off. So please don't use these things before they pitch. Start to put it into your plan in a different way and do some thinking about it and look at it and let your insights tell you, does this even look good? And that's how you make decisions about all the different programs that are out there. And by the way, the better you can teach a pitcher how to do something, the better he's going to learn it. Give pitchers something to bite their teeth into. That's my philosophy. Teach them about the one thing they know the least about, which is how their body moves. They already know pitching. Teach them what they don't know. And when you take something that a pitcher doesn't know, and then he knows it, 
he elevates himself. And Joe, you're right. My pitchers that I worked with, you know, they're throwing in the mid nineties and we never ever did anything explosive or anything unusual to get them there. We built their bodies to be more forceful and therefore it can contract. And it's, you know, no different than when you squat or you do a clean or a snatch and you want to lift more weight, you train to do that, but you train doing it doing what it is that you want to do better. You squat more, you clean more, you snatch more, and that's how you get uh, improved performance. This is really good good stuff, Angel, because, uh, you know, again, every pitcher I know is looking looking for more velocity. And I think I think a big part of it, too, you touched on something very important, is, is to teach the, the pitcher how his body moves. And, and uh, I think there's a big disconnect because, unfortunately – most of us baseball pitching coaches don't really have the background to understand how the body moves, but I, you know, some of us kind of have a, have a visual, like a visual in their head of what the pitching motion is supposed to look like. And then they may come up with some kind of contraption that attaches to the body so that the, so in the end, he, he, he kind of sees that image that he sees in his head from the pitcher. You know, it's kind of like an ends justify the means thing, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we don't really know how the body moves, so we really shouldn't be making these these devices and things. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I mean, you know, people can use what they want to use, but I think that's part of the problem is that we have a slight disconnect. And, I, and it's I think it's so important for pitching coaches to be really open minded and to drop their pride and to understand that we don't really understand the way the body moves in the way that someone like you understands it. Like we 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 might know how to pitch and we might personally know how to propel a baseball, but in general, we don't really know how we do it. And I I don't think that we should be expected to be in the position to try to teach pitchers to, to do the same thing. I I think we should just be focused more on the pitching strategy and and the basic training of getting a pitcher ready and and following protocols and, and everything else. But, but otherwise I I think that uh, you bring up some really great points and I hope that everyone listening just thinks twice before or at least does a lot, a lot of research and, and thinking mm-hmm. before they decide to uh, invest in some of these programs or or gadgets or or whatever they are, because they can do a lot more harm than good. Well, you know, there's a lot of information out there about how things are really done with the body, and you know, a lot of teams have strength coaches. You can actually uh, sometimes ask for that, but I think more more so than. Um, the real take-home message is think everything through, follow your intuition, and also know that something that might be right for one pitcher is not right for another pitcher. If a kid has a history of injuries, he might not be, you know, if you find out that this will help you throw the ball harder, well, maybe that's not what that kid should be uh, worrying about. And uh, I think that uh, when you start to exercise that kind of responsibility. Now, here's one thing I want everyone to do today, and all the coaches are going out there with your pitchers, because if you've listened to my podcasts in the past, especially last year or the year before we talked about velocity, pitchers most of the time are leaving miles per hour on the mound. My first job when I look at a pitcher who says he needs to throw harder is I'm looking to see how is he getting in his own way. And especially when you see a pitcher who's 6'5", and he's got, you know, the quote-unquote great arm, but he's only throwing 81. You know, I'm like, what? And then my job isn't to make him throw harder. It's to remove, remove the thing he's doing or add the thing he isn't doing to bring out the velocity that's in him. Because guess what? If you've been pitching all these years, you should be better at it. So go from the perspective first of why, especially coaches, when you have that kid, we all know the one we talk about, why isn't he throwing harder? He's got a great arm. Look at what's he doing. And, you know, I have pitchers that I, and especially with these throwing programs who are they just were speeding up at the wrong time in the motion. The, the motion, you speed up once the foot lands. If you come out of the glove too fast, you race down the hill. You're going to have to put on the brakes. And once you put on the brakes and you slam them so hard, it's hard to derive your power again. So look, in, look at timing. Look at those sorts of things and see what can I do for this pitcher without strapping him up to anything. 
what can I do about the part that where I think he's getting in his own way? And coaches have a lot of knowledge about things like this, and you don't give yourself enough credit for it. So I would say start to look at things like that, and then you don't even get into this decision-making thing where you say, gee, should I buy this thing or this tool, or should I send them to this program or do whatever? And make sure that you've thought it through. And you know, as coaches, that's the only responsibility we have. Think things through, make decisions that feel right to you, And then stick by that until you get information that says, no, I don't want to go in that direction. Believe in yourself. And that's how you can make the best decisions about whether or not something can work for you. Yeah, that's good advice. I like to make the analogy to the the car all the time when we're when we're talking about things like this. And and what comes to mind is if you have a car with a really big engine and a lot of horsepower, but you're not going more than 40 miles an hour for some reason, you know, that that doesn't mean you should go out and bolt on a turbocharger or supercharger. It means you should figure out why the horsepower isn't getting to the wheels. Maybe there's a problem with the transmission. Maybe you're not getting out of second gear. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, that you're just not getting enough traction. There could be a lot of different reasons why that horsepower isn't getting to the wheels and making the car move faster. Maybe maybe you just need to take off the emergency brake. You know, exactly, exactly. You know? There may be something that obvious going on. Exactly. Yeah, and it's you, you don't you don't just put on a supercharger if you've already if you already have the the tools and and it's not working figure out where the inefficiency is and correct it. And that's, you know, works pretty similarly with with the pitcher's motion. Uh, Angel, I think we've done enough. We've crammed a a full hour of information here. I think we had a a really good show. I hope everyone agrees with me. I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and and your knowledge. All of the all the pitching coaches out there uh, and pitchers and parents. I really hope you've got something out of this. Once again, season four, episode four of The Fix. If you want to learn more about Angel and what she does to help pitchers reach their peak performance and prevent injury, you should go to gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit fixingpitchers.com. If you have a question or something that you want to hear in a future podcast being answered by us, just hit me up at fixingpictures.com where you can send a note to Angel. And that's about it. And I want to wish everyone safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.